was so hurt and I was so frustrated and I was so disappointed, like with God specifically, because I was like, God, like, I'm trying to like be obedient to you, right? Like I'm trying to like, you know, live this mission and I'm trying to like do the hard things. And I asked you for help, like I asked you for help, like two seconds, you know, like, and there was no help. I still, you know, like I lost it. Welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Brother Sam. <laughs> I'm Father Casey. Father, no, Brother Casey. We're brothers. We're monks. Christian. I want to be a father. Fine, Father Casey. I don't see your collar. I can be a priest if I if I say I am. Are we gonna do? Uh, <laughs> we gonna make Catholic Church jokes again? I feel like we went a little hard uh, last week. We gotta give them a rest. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen the the check it out with Doctor Steve with Steve Brule where oh, he goes yeah, to the church? Course. No, I haven't seen the woman who goes to the church. I was literally just watching Steve Rule videos the other day. I found out someone that I worked with had never listened to any, like, didn't know what Steve Rule was. And I was like, I'm about to send you a lot of texts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's one where he looks at religion, and it's hilarious. But he's he goes to a Catholic church at some point and starts talking to this priest, and he's like, please, can I go to heaven? I, I've never done a sin. I've never, ever done a sin. And the guy's like, you've never sinned? And he's like, nope. <laughs> you can tell that the guy's just like totally uh, not in on the joke of yeah, all right. this. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I love Steve that Brule guy. Was, I loved it. I mean, that was one of the first introductions to John C. Riley. I don't remember. I think Step Brothers might have been I don't know if my introduction to Step Brothers was after that or before, but it that's like my earliest memory of John C. Riley was Steve Brule. Yeah, I remember being in in the apartment where I lived with Joe and uh, like one night turning on the TV and and Tim and Eric was on and I had no idea what it was. Yeah, and we were just like howling. Yeah, like this is the weirdest stuff we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a game changer of a show. Like in a lot of shows after that, I feel like. There's like you'll get like you'd get Tim and Eric vibes from a lot of other like kind of sketchy like sketch type shows afterwards, just going for the like the outlandish, otherworldly kind of humor. But yeah, yeah, that was a big deal. I think that was like was it like my senior year of high school or first year of college? Probably that that I like got put onto that and was like, oh okay, this is forever going to impact my sense of humor. <laughs> yep. But man, so. uh vacation this weekend you get no, out of town yeah yeah just for the night um so we uh my wife and i and our kids and then another couple who we're really close with uh and their kids we got uh, a hotel in boston for the night and so we went saturday night into sunday and that was cool i mean dude it was a long long ass day like we got into boston saturday uh, what time i don't know early uh probably around like noon we tried to leave earlier it was actually kind of funny so we went our, our goal was to leave at 10 a.m and get to boston by 11 30 do like an early check into our hotel and we ended up leaving late because we had to drop my dog off at my in-laws and we pull into the driveway get out get the dog i put the dog crate in go back out to the car to like grab something no i didn't even bring the crate in yet i, I literally put the crate down uh my wife went inside with the dog and the kids and um, next to my in-laws, like Jill's like 
whole family lives on this like next to each other they're all on the same street it's like four houses next to each other are all like her family and um kind of like the duggars yeah (laughs) so her her cousin lives next door her cousin's she's still in college so she's a bit younger and um i see the car going down their driveway and then i just hear the tire like the wheel just like skidding out and skipping and so she pulls out of that driveway and then instantly pulls into my in-laws and the tire is completely off like she's like (laughs) riding on the rim it's just like apparently it was flat when she left and she didn't realize it so like by the time she got to the end of the driveway it just like fell off and so i we ended up being late because i had to change a tire before we ended up even leaving i was like i guess i can take care of this for you and um but anyway so we got to boston checked into the hotel then we just like i mean my kids are five and four so we're like walking around we ended up like taking the tea going doing the whole north end thing i don't know what anyone knows about boston but I th- we walked close to seven miles that day and that's a lot when you have little kids and you don't put them in a stroller anymore. So we were like, Oh, for sure. Dead by the end of the day, especially I had, especially I had to like give my son, like, I don't know, about 600 piggyback rides because he would like walk for like 10 minutes and just start dragging. I'm tired. Like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's going to be a long day, but they were great. I mean, to, to walk that much and like for them to be, I mean, I they didn't really complain at all and they had a great time. So, uh, we just did that and then came home today. I was like, we didn't really do much that morning. It was like, I don't know. It's, it's a lot to pack up for just the night with the kids and then try to fit in a bunch of stuff and head home. But it's fun. And I like doing like getting day trips in like that with them, especially during the summer. But yeah, it's well, we don't even have kids and it feels like it takes like three days of prep for us to leave. Yeah. <laughs> but we're like serial overpackers. And like we, t- we did a little trip to like Oklahoma in May and I packed like everything that we owned. Cause we had like talked about nice. going fishing and we were going to okay, go hiking yeah. and we were going to go maybe like shooting and all this stuff. So, I mean, I, I brought the entire house with us and we didn't yeah. end up doing like any of it. <laughs> I'm like, I might want this sweatshirt, but I might want this sweatshirt. That's like the extent of my overpacking is like an extra sweatshirt, but rest assured it will still fit in a backpack. That's I think for up until like I had kids, I was able to like pack for a week with just a backpack. That was pretty cool. You know what my friends make fun of me for on trips that is ridiculous and they're stupid is uh, I have this like zippered hard shell container specifically for like taking your hats with you so they don't get smashed. Okay. I mean like this little uh, it's like a little case and you can fit like three hats in there and put it in your suitcase and then they don't get smashed. And I I take it out of my suitcase. The last time we went on a trip together and my buddy's like, what what is that? (laughs) It's it's a hat case. It's it's full of hats. And he's like, you're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. You would be. I don't want to smash my hat. How is that ridiculous? How many hats do you bring on trips, dude? I have, I wear one hat exclusively. It's the same fucking hat. I I don't think I've seen you without a hat since college. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I didn't wear a hat in college. And then I went through uh, an eight year dreadlock phase. And then after that, I was like, I'm going to become a hat person. And I realized I wanted to become a hat person when after like I cut my hair, I was just like, okay, 
sometimes it'll start growing out and then I'm like, I don't really want to get it cut yet. It's really annoying. So I was like, the best way around this is just become a hat person. Then you don't ever have to worry about it anymore. So that's how I got into it. And now I never take one off and it feels like dumb to even get haircut. Like, I don't know why I don't just like, just take the clippers to my head because I always wear a hat. So I'm like, I'm paying for haircuts to literally never show anybody what my haircut looks like. You got a full head of hair too, don't you? I know, I do. Wow. Just people just like grinding their teeth because of you right now. <laughs> Except for like all the people, I like the people I knew in college who were all hat people. Like I feel like they were all like, they were on their way to being bald. Like they knew it. And they're like, I, this is just, we'll just keep it short and we're just going to ride the hat wave because I know in the next five to 10 years, my hair is going to be gone. Dude, I, I feel like I went through a lot of hat stages throughout my life like uh growing up in like junior high and elementary school I, I for some reason i just never wore like normal clothing i always bought like relaxed fit dad jeans and wore you know i always tucked Some my t-shirt nice into them. yeah exactly i was like just looked ridiculous up until maybe like <laughs> ninth grade and i don't know why I could have just gone and gotten like a normal haircut and normal clothes, but I didn't. But I was because of that and because I had no idea what to wear, I would just latch on to like certain clothing items. And it was like, if I'm going to be in public, I have to wear this. Like, I know that this is cool. So always this, never not this, you know? Yeah. And so I had like several really ugly hats over the years. I did go through a phase where um, I was really into like, being an outdoorsy, uh, that kind of guy. Okay. And I always had some sort of camo article of clothing on. Nice. Did you ever get a cute, did anyone ever point out the fact that you wore the same thing all the time? Cause that happened to me before and it was uncomfortable. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be super uncomfortable yeah, because I didn't have a lot of clothes that I thought were cool. So when I did, I latched onto them and I, I just remember a couple times in my life, people, you wear that every time I see you. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm not great. <laughs> Is this, this wasn't like three seconds ago when I told, made a comment about your hats, was it? Nope. It, <laughs> but I do wear that all the time. You're right. Uh, but no, one of them, I had a pair of, uh, I had a, I had a pair of overalls. I was trying to think of overalls. I almost said suspenders, but they're not the same. Uh, I had a pair of overalls and I didn't like overalls. I didn't think those were cool. Uh, and I knew people didn't think they were super cool, but what I did was I thought they looked cool, like as pants. So I always wore a sweatshirt over my overalls. So I, then I just thought it looked like cool pants. And I remember, I remember getting outed <laughs> at one point for wearing the over. It wasn't like I got outed and I was really upset about it. It was like, no, oh, these are just pants. Like, no, dude, those are, I don't, I, I remember lying and saying they were pants, that they weren't the same overalls oh, no. that I wore every week. All I had to do was just take my shirt and go, whoop. And then I would have been like, no, they got me. <laughs> I wish yeah, that that's not much of an alibi. No, it's not. It was terrible. And also, I think probably like the buttons on the side of them gave it away. If I, all I did was like raise my hands in worship, of course. And uh, <laughs> no, I wasn't raising my hands in worship at that time. I waited until college to, for the charismatic streak. But dude, you know what I really tried to make work in high school? You know, those little, uh, those little like paper boy hats. That's like the, you know, the dudes that are yeah. like, uh, beards, bacons and craft 
or yeah. beers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy that wears that hat. I really tried to do that in uh, in high school, and I looked ridiculous. Fucking what Newsies hat? Is that what they call them? <laughs> yeah, it was like that. You looked like you're straight out of what Oliver, whatever the. <laughs> The only thing worse than wearing one of those is when some when a white dude shows up wearing one backwards, like like he's trying to pull a Samuel L. Jackson. It doesn't work. It's not good. I feel like that goes well with like blonde hair shave and like it's slicked back. Maybe the sides are shaved and that blonde hair is going to be slicked back. And by go good with that, I mean, it doesn't go good with that. But those are the kind of people I associate with having those on backwards. Not to call dude straight out of like 1997. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I distinctly remember there being like pictures of uh, Quentin Tarantino at an awards show wearing one of those backwards. And he's an ugly man anyways. <laughs> he looked super ugly in that hat. That's like, I love his movies and stuff. He's one of the ugliest people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got a specific look uh, about him. Uh, <laughs> He's got a face like a like an old knot in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. I actually like, I, yeah, he's one of those people you look at when the first time you see him, you're like, oh, that's him. But I don't know that it made quite the same impression on me as it did you. So there's this, this has been an ongoing discussion with some friends of mine about how ugly Quentin Tarantino is. Yeah. So. It's just I'm just, up a lot. just roping more people into it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it, I guess. Uh, I'm probably a little more weird than you are to publicly call people out for their bad looks, but <laughs> <laughs> you know. Okay. That's because so, I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of people, man. You <laughs> yeah. come at me, Quentin. I don't care. So one of my friends uh, a few weeks back went to this big party that's on a lake in Topeka or north of Topeka or something like that. But the party is called the exact address. <laughs> I can send you coordinates okay. at least, but uh, it's this party called nudie gras. Oh, and it's, that's yeah, about what it sounds like. Yeah. Bunch, yeah it doesn't sound like Topeka there's a lot people. to read into. Okay. And, and it looks like, uh, it looks like it's just kind of a big, you know, big fun party bunch of people on boats and drinking and doing jello shots and all that kind of stuff but uh he's he posted some pictures of it online and so i'm looking through this photo album that he posted on facebook and there's one picture where it looks like it got a little wild overall i think uh i think it earned its like mardi gras reference but yeah, there's a picture of a girl. She's up on a boat, right? And there's another girl in the water, standing in the water at the side of the boat. Boat girl is is bent over with and she's got kind of like a thong cut bikini on. Other girl is directly below her and someone is dumping a beer down boat girl's butt crack <laughs> into other girl's mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. And I think it was one of those like, oh, this is supposed to be like sexy or something. And it it I found it really disturbing. <laughs> it wasn't. It was not. That doesn't that sounds like um, a lot of things have to happen 
earlier in the day to get like when you get to that point you're like running out i don't know that just seems like a running the, out of ideas kind of thing it's like if the party started at 10 this was not 10 30 yeah 10 30 party started <laughs> at 10 a.m and then goes like all day dude i can't okay i feel like a day like an all day kind of drinking expedition like that would i, I don't know if i have that in me anymore um not that i like i i say anymore like i did i didn't i didn't drink to the point of full-blown intoxication until i was like in my mid to late 20 probably mid 20 i don't even remember when that was uh but late i was a late comer so like so okay even like like we were in being in boston overnight right um me and my friend so after we got the kids to bed my wife and her friend they went down to the hotel bar had a few drinks uh, it came up a hour and a half whatever later and then my buddy and i we went down for a bit before we went to bed and grabbed a couple of drinks so we could at least get some time away from like doing so you guys shit. just just leave your children in the room by themselves no no, no that's no. a real like no. casey anthony move <laughs> no i was in the when my wife and her friend went down i was in the room with the kids me and my friend were in the room with the kids and then we switched off and and then they kids went to bed anyway i don't need to explain myself to you i'm not a <laughs> neglectful parent um so like we're across the street. There was like this bumping thing. Just like, and you could hear it from your hotel room. And it, uh, it seemed kind of cool. I mean, they had like these like swing, like, I don't know. It was like, it was like adult swings, adult, not in like a perfect adult way. swings. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this all wrong. Um, no, like when you would put it like ones you'd like put on your porch or something and you kind of just sit in that little teardrop and you swing around. Uh, oh yes okay yeah yeah that uh, type of adult yeah, swing yeah, exactly uh they had a whole bunch of those and they like glue in the dark and shit and i don't know it seemed like a and then like ping pong tables all set up it seemed like a cool vibe and we thought about going but we're not those kind of people and we were tired so we decided to sit in the hotel bar and drink where there's like three other people and i'm like but everything shuts down like it all shut down early that was done by like 11 probably um and like that's Boston things kind of shut down early. Uh, so when I went to what I, I, uh, Jesse and I, uh, Jesse from one of our fellowship Fridays, uh, obviously his name's come up a bunch of times at this point, him and I went to New York to visit uh, a friend of ours. And that was the first time I experienced bars being open forever. Like they, that shit closed at like 5am. I don't even know why they close. It's like things close at 5am and then they open again at like 11. It's like it's like they close for an hour and a half to squeegee out the puke and then yeah right yes. back at it yeah, yeah exactly because so we were hanging like we <laughs> I don't remember what time we got there but we just walked around and just found different bars to drink at and then after we got a few drinks we went back to where my friend was staying we were only there for one night and um, like New York City is like a three three and a half hour trip for me. Um, so it's not bad. It's probably three hours. It's like a good, easy. You could do it for the day yeah. if you really wanted to. And um, so then we went back to where my friend was staying, drank some more. And then my friend, because my friend was visiting, he, he was visiting from Uganda. So he was, his whole like time zone shit was fucked up. And um, even eating American food kind of like makes him not feel great sometimes. So we were out eating like just shitty American food and he's, his body's not super used to that anymore. So he was like, just not feeling very well. Uh, so we were like, we ended up leaving. He, he called it a night and my friend Jesse and I, we got this like shit ass hotel and um, it was 
It's the worst fucking place I've ever stayed in my life, dude. I mean, like <laughs> really going to bad, a, huh? going to a random college party and waking up on a futon is probably a little bit nicer than where we stayed. Um, it was on the first floor. All the windows had bars on them. It was not in a great spot. It was cheap as shit, though, which is why we got it. And it was like there was like other there was still like hair and shit on the bed. Like the floor was there was like crumbs on the floor when we got there. Like it was not good. But and when we got there, I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Like this place is fucked. Like I don't want to sleep here. By the time we got back, like, cause we, so we ended up hanging out with, like, ended up after we left our friends, we we're like, fuck it. Like, we're just here for the night. Everything's open real late. Let's just go drink at a different place and then try a different place. So we stayed out late drinking and that was like, the night just disappears. I was like two, three, it was like, all of a sudden it's probably like 2 a.m. And we're just like, oh my God, like we need to just go to bed. By the time we got back to this rancid ass hotel, we were like, just laughing at the fact that it was disgusting and we just fell asleep under the covers like it's nothing. I'm, you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, this is why am I here? Why am I here? Like, it was like easily the most, dis- oh God, that was that was terrible. Did you drink a beer out of Jesse's butt crack? Yes, that, yeah. Someone poured it down his butt crack and into my mouth. He, he stood on the bar though. He was standing on the bar and I was behind it. And it was, we people were just like, go, go, go. Go, go. And, and it was a good time. No, one thing that did happen was we went to this, like, I don't, it, I don't remember the name of the pub. It's cool as shit. You walk in and they're just like, you have to push through a crowd of people. There's really nowhere to sit. I don't know how anyone runs this place, but they, someone finds you and, you and they yell, how many? And we're like three. And he's like, waves his hand, says, come on over. And he puts us at a table with a bunch of other people. They have like, all the tables are just overpacked with people. There's no like, you you're just yeah i mean it's this packed out room this is pre-covid like but it was kind of like right before it so like it wasn't it was probably a month later that everything really ended up shutting down but we um so we sit down they they go what do you what do you want and i'm like i don't know what you're talking about light or dark and they're like apparently beer and they only serve two kinds of beer so we're at a table (laughs) with all these strangers it was like me and my two friends and there's like six other people and somehow i take a sip of beer and it goes down the wrong pipe and I spit take across the fucking table. Just like a <sighs> blow this beer out coughs. everywhere. I mean, I got it on their food. It was, I was mortified, dude. And Oof. I, so I, on I, other, on people you weren't with. Yep. On total strangers and on their food. They were like wiping their hands with napkins and shit. I was like, Ooh, that's yeah, dude. rough. And they were kind of laughing and I was like, profusely apologetic and they ended up like i don't know they were like it couldn't have happened to nicer guys really but um the rest of the table when it happened who didn't get hit it just went silent and everyone just stared at me and then they just went back to like business as usual but i mean i got them another round of drinks and bought them like and got them a new appetizer or whatever as they were eating like i wasn't a dick about it (laughs) but like i was absolutely mortified when i just blew beer across the table on a couple of complete strangers on their fucking dinner man that that would be upsetting (laughs) (laughs) i was at the lunch with my dad one day and there's like okay if we go to a restaurant together there's like a 80 percent chance that i'm gonna order buffalo wings 
Okay. Like that's a good percentage. That's 20% of my total diet, I think, you know, counting breakfast and all that. And uh, we go to this place in town that is a nice place. It's like, it's called a Monarch. It's like a whiskey bar and then they have good food and stuff, but they've got really good, these like smoked wings that are great. But you know, when they have, you go to a place and they have wings, but they're like the connected ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they got the little, the little flapper at the end. Oh, it's like the three piece joint. Yeah. Yeah. Get the little, uh, chicken dangler at the end. Yeah. So this place is like that. And I hate that because it's so hard to, to work with, you know, you got to try to like crack these things apart. It's gross. Cause I don't want to touch it with my, I, I like, I'm a surgeon with wings, you know, it's like <laughs> okay. four fingers total, uh, napkin wipe between each one. Like when you say yeah, four I'm fingers, precise. you do, um, index and middle, right. And you just pinch them like a crab and you, <laughs> yeah, and just like, okay. yeah, like a fiddler. <laughs> okay. I'm but, getting it. So I'm trying, we're at this place and I'm like, God, these stupid wings. Like, why don't they just cut them for you? And like, I'm ripping on these things and it popped and a chicken bone flew like over. There's there's we're in the middle of the restaurant at one of those like high top tables. Yeah. yeah. Then there's boots along the wall. This wing bone flies over the gap and hits this old lady. (laughs) (laughs) And we're both just like like both of us saw it fly and we're just kind of like, oh, it's like you see <laughs> slow motion flipping through the air. Yeah. No. And this lady had she had no idea where it came from. So she's like looking up. She's looking at the ceiling. <laughs> it was it was funny. I, I apologized. I didn't buy him drinks, though. I said, yeah. you shouldn't have sat there. Yeah. You're like, I mean, what's your problem? This is a you thing. If you're bothered by getting hit by a chicken bone, maybe don't come to a place where they serve chicken. Oh. Maybe you should... Also complain about the fact they don't cut the wings, lady. <laughs> Dude, I don't. Before we get out of here, we've been going for a minute. But before we like close out, did, did you know? Uh, shout out to anyone who's listening that knew him, um, our old college friends. Did you know Max Knopp, a kid named Max? Um, the name sounds really familiar. Okay, so this guy Max was uh, interesting, dude. And, but he, we would people go out to Buffalo Wild Wings, right? And they'd all, we'd all order our wings and. He would show up late and uh, like after everyone ate or ordered whatever. And like after a normal person eats their wings, right? If you eat the flats or the drums, like there's like some stuff left at the ends, maybe. Mm-hmm. He would come in and be like, yo, are you done with that? And we'd be like, uh, yeah, because it's gone. Like at your, cause that's, this is what being done with this looks like. And he'd be like, can I have it? And you're like, I don't know what you're going to do with it. And then he would take the, like the drum and he would like, bite the end of it off like crunch off the end of it all the cartilage and shit and oh. just like crunch it crunch it crunch it and then he would bite the ends of the flats like both ends like sometimes they're like some of the bone would break and he would just like chew i'm like oh i know yeah dude, that's it was i i hated it so much and i don't know if it was just like <laughs> a cheap thing or if he was like didn't really care i'm not sure what his like financial situation was at the time uh but he just likes munching knuckles like uh, a coyote. That was like, yeah, exactly. That was like the epitome of college slumming it, dude. I don't know how on earth. Uh, especially after everyone else has like sucked the fucking sauce and shit off the tops of it. Yeah. He's over it. Yeah, no. Not good. 
You couldn't have paid me to do that. <laughs> Hopefully he hears this and he's like mid bite on a on a <laughs> chicken chicken knuckle. And he's just like, oh, no one's ever told me Call that this out. is I know, terrible. I throw his last name out here on the fucking podcast. I don't. Oh well, man. Okay, so um, this week, this episode, I feel like we've had a couple of just goofy, lighthearted episodes in a row. Yeah, this one is uh, it's a little different, but. Very good. It was a great conversation. Um, yeah, it really was. Pretty fun at the beginning, and we get into some heavy topics. Uh, so I think we probably need to throw out a trigger warning that the, this episode includes discussions of uh, sexual abuse, depression, you know, suicide, some of those types of topics. So you know, it, this may not be right for everyone uh, in the audience. Yeah. So just be warned that those those topics are breached in this in this episode. But our guest this week is Sarah Hall, and Sarah is a pastoral counselor mm-hmm. at a at a organization. And Sarah had talked to us because she had written a book. It was kind of like her perspective on finding finding a way to to you know maintain your faith when things are at their absolute worst. Uh Sarah went through a series of of events that was really traumatic and you know she really kind of called God to the carpet on some things and came out the other side like maintaining her faith you know it transformed it it looked a lot different it wasn't the cut and paste you know typical variety of faith that that uh you know we all grew up hearing about but it's something that that you know sustained her through some really dark times Uh, she's got a really amazing story really nice lady and uh sarah wrote a, a great book on these subjects called tasting dirt when you're disappointed with god it's available on amazon and we will include a link to that in the show notes but uh yeah, it was a really good conversation. With that in mind, enjoy our talk with Sarah. Hey, everybody. We're back with our guest, Sarah Hall. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm honored that you guys would uh, spend this time with me. Yeah, yeah. I was interested uh, when you emailed us because, you know, we were we emailed back and forth a little bit. And, you know, some of the you had, well, one of the things you mentioned, which is always great, is... Um, and quite a bit of work and an undertaking is you, you published a book and, and you mentioned that you also were a, um, a pastoral counselor, but at odds with some of what's going on in the evangelical world and possibly even in, you know, your evangelical setting. And those are the conversations that we're having. And I was very interested in how those things, how they work together or don't. Um, but, and so I'm looking forward to kind of diving into those and hearing more about all of that. Uh, but why don't you just start us off with giving us a little bit of, um, your background, your type of Christian upbringing and, and kind of where it all started. Yeah, sure. So, um, I, uh, (laughs) grew up Christian. Um, and, uh, we, let's see, there were probably four different churches that I spent the most time in growing up. But as a kid, I loved to be at church because it wasn't at home. So I would really go anywhere where somebody would pick me up and take me. So Were you homeschooled? Yes, for a ah, portion ah. of the time. I did both uh, uh, public school for a couple of years and then Christian school, not private school, 
Christian school for a couple of years. And then homeschool was like both mixed in there. And then from like eighth grade through high, high school, uh, okay. was homeschool. Yeah. So home was just boring then? Is that mostly what it was? Just uh, Yeah, home was boring. I'm a very extroverted person. And um, like I like I used to describe myself as a rabid extrovert. I'm kind of I'm, I'm toning down a little bit. My husband's super introverted and we're uh, slowly moving towards the middle and getting more like each other the longer we've been married. <laughs> um, so I'm not I'm not so rabid anymore. But yeah, like I wanted I wanted the people and I wanted the connection and I um, wanted wanted that for sure. Yeah. yeah, that was a big part for me. And a lot of kids I knew who were homeschooled. I was homeschooled. So it's like when you spend all that time at home, it's like. That is, that was my connection to things other than just my house. So it was like, I was, I was, if there was an event, I was at it. Even if I didn't oh, even yeah. get excited about it, it was just like, uh, sign me up. I'm going, I need to do something. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went to, um, uh, of the four churches that I spent the most time in, there was a Southern Baptist church an American Baptist church, a non-denominational church out of the restoration movement. And then another non-denominational church that I uh, don't really know what particular like affiliation they had. Like it's not supposed to have an affiliation because it's non-denominational, yeah. but there's always an affiliation somewhere. Because they came from something and they were like, I don't yes. like that, but I'm going to do it different. Yeah, um, yeah. What, I don't actually know much about the restoration. Do you know much about the restoration movement? Yeah. It- so the restoration movement, um, I don't, I want to say there, the man who started it, I went, or one of the, the men who started it, his last name was Campbell. I'm, I'm blanking on his first name right now, but essentially it was, um, it was a movement to unify the different denominations. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. It was a movement intended to unify the different denominations instead of having so much, um, separation and, and warring between, the various denominations um, <laughs> to return back to the biblical call for unity, which is why it like it was non-denominational and they did not pick a, you know, like they didn't, they didn't want to name themselves. Yeah. Um, but I mean, non-denominational is essentially its own denomination at this point. So. Yeah. And they're all yeah. basically Southern Baptist in some way. Very reformed. <laughs> did they have like hard stances on doctrine and stuff in spite of like not having a name for themselves and being yes. all about unity? Yes. It was very, um, very close i think the like first christian church churches of christ like came out of that movement eventually essentially um and so it's very like baptism is essential for salvation um and and there was more um there was more flexibility on other things uh like instruments and worship and things like that um but fairly conservative yeah (laughs) it's like it's like such a fundamental like misunderstanding of what that problem is. It's yeah, like, yes. right. You know, yes. it's not the dogma that's driving us apart. It's that word on the front of the building. <laughs> yeah. Like, we'll just take that down and then everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Our call to unity consists of uh, not doing stuff with people who aren't like us at all. And we'll start our own denomination. And it's like, it's never going to work. I. The idea of like all the, that's so funny. I was so unfamiliar with the restoration movement, but just any idea of we're going to start a non-denominational church for the sake of bringing people together in unity. Yeah, like we're going to separate from everybody else in order to create unity. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So you, you, all right. So you jumped around, you bounced from one church to the other for a little yep. while. Was that pretty quick time span or were you just, was that like over your like entire childhood? That was, that was over my childhood. Um, the first three churches were while I, w- I grew up in Southern Illinois. And then the fourth church was after uh, my family and I moved to Mississippi. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, there was a smattering in between each of those churches of various and assorted churches of whatever domination, like had a bus that would pick me up or had a friend like who invited me because it's guest Sunday. And if I bring the most guests, then I get a chocolate bar, you know, <laughs> like, oh my God. it's like bring your child to work day. Like so yeah, it was, it was pretty spread out. And then I guess you could count the Christian school that I went to as almost like a fifth, like was that a Church. denomination? Christian schools are like generally like uptight as shit. Was that like a den- specific denomination? Um, I believe the church that housed that school, um, I, I want to say it was, it had been a Southern Baptist church that then like essentially removed, like left like the association and became another non-denominational church. Because <laughs> they didn't want to pay their dues. That's what it always comes down to. It's like, <laughs> we can just keep this money and then still believe the same things. So I don't know right. why we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> what was it that like caused your, your family to switch churches? Was it just you guys were moving for work or something like that? Or Well, it was mostly drama. There was always drama. Somebody would get offended about something. And they would argue. I remember growing up a lot of arguments about baptism and uh, whether or not it was nice. essential for salvation. Um, I didn't know and... people were still arguing about that in the 21st oh, century. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> people are definitely still arguing about that. That's still a big thing. Um, and so, like, I, rem- I remember, like, you know, overhearing a lot of, like, angry conversations about that. Um, and so, essentially, it was drama why we moved. Um, one of the churches, I think the American Baptist Church that we were at, um, that church uh, was the church that my mom had grown up in and my grandpa had been like a deacon at. Um, and so there was like family history stuff there for her oh, yeah. that was weird. And yeah, but drama was really why we moved. And then when we moved to Mississippi, that was for my dad's work. Um, and okay. when we moved down there, uh, I like I always wanted to be like I always wanted to be in the church. Like, like I said, like I, I wanted to, like as often as I could, like, as opposed to, you know, like being like bored and lonely, like at home. Um, and so when we moved to Mississippi, like I got out a phone book and just started calling churches in the area and asking about like their, you know, like what programs do you have for these ages? I have sisters these age. And what do you believe about this? And what do you, I was really like interviewing like all of these churches. Yeah. You like Man. took on the role that uh, you like people's parents. That's usually what the parents do when they move to an area. And you're like, I yeah, this. because I was like, if I don't do it, I don't know if my parents will do it. And I need people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how, when, how old were you when you were doing that? I was like, I was 15 when we moved. Yeah. You, yeah, I mean, that's, that's initiative. Weird. You didn't trust your parents to do, uh, to vet these churches properly? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the worst would be to like show up at a church where, because we've all, like, if you visited churches, mm-hmm. like everybody at some point has visited that church that's like, you walk in and you're like, there is no one under the age of 40 here. Yes. Or, Maybe there's like a couple of really young families that have like little kids. So they basically have no program for anyone between the ages of like eight and 18. Yeah. The worst. Visiting churches. I I haven't, I, I want to, I 
recently felt like I want to just visit random evangelical churches in my area to like it's been I'm to see what it's like I forget yeah, I don't forget but like is. just to like almost feel like a fly on the wall I'm gonna be going on vacation and um down to North Carolina at the summer and it, one of the things I'm excited about doing is checking out Stephen Furtick's church that's the, oh, where awesome. elevation yeah. is and I'm like I just hate that guy so much. Like, <laughs> That'll be interesting. For I sure. want to see what this place is all about. It's like a, it's like you know, you could go to the zoo or an amusement park, but I'm, I'd rather, and it's free. Like, I mean, if you don't pay, you can. I, I, I won't, but you, it'll be fun to uh, <laughs> just no start checking out least. churches. You're equating yeah. that to entertainment, which yes. it is not. <laughs> <laughs> it will be though. I'll be entertained. It'll. <laughs> Yeah, there was definitely, um, uh, every, every time I would go to a new church, like these are all like, I mean, I'm talking about like small churches, right? Like, you know, like 25 to 50 people or less, like, um, depending on the Sunday. And so it's like, you're, you're like the first new face that they've seen in probably like 10 years at least, right? You know, like, so you like, <laughs> Ooh, wow. you walk in and you're like, there's a new person here. Like, and there's almost like this weird, like, some people like treat you like some kind of like rock star celebrity and some people like just look at you weird from it and don't really know what to do with you and like won't like approach you like at all <laughs> like yeah I had that experience multiple times and um too like as a as a teenager like I got uh really into like uh pop punk and ska music especially and Fire Fire so, and Frenzy uh oh yes oh yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and so like the, the way that I was dressing was not expected and often unacceptable. Checkered shoes? Huh? Did you have the black and white checkered shoes? No, I'm a straight up Converse low top girl. Mm, Okay. But I didn't didn't have the checkered vans. Yeah. Those were, I felt like those were like every, at least something checkered. It was always like the shin length checkered shorts. Those were like, it was always... I wanted a pair of checkered pants. I never did get the checkered (laughs) pants because they're like $50 at Hot Topic and that was like never going to (laughs) happen. What is up with checkered, like ska kids and checkered stuff? I don't know. It's like you can't get your your merit badge in a ska, in the ska community without something checkered. Right? I have a pair of checkered hoop earrings. That was like (laughs) the most checkered uh, thing. No, I don't know where that comes from. Now I'm curious and I want to go like find out like what is it with the ska and the checkered like I never Yeah. There's a uh, uh there's a YouTube channel that that Sam and I pass back and forth all the time called the Punk Rock NBA. Yeah, I yeah. was just going to say that Dude, the guy talks a lot about like ska and pop punk and stuff like that. Cool. It's really interesting cool. cuz I was kind of after that. And anyway, yeah. like even uh you know when I was in that era like I was really only listening to Christian bands and there was, I, there was only a couple of Christian ska bands. I feel like. Yeah. There weren't very many. It was like the Supertones and five iron frenzy. And then there was a couple of like smaller bands that didn't even have like, like albums or, you know, like there was. Yeah. Any, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think ska ever really blew up. Uh, it didn't, I don't feel no. like it did. It had like its heyday, but like it, I don't know. I don't recall it being a big thing. I mean, Supertones kind of broke into like a more mainstream. Yeah. Didn't they? I feel like a lot of a people little... like who weren't Christian listened to the Supertones, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, 
I think a little bit. I've heard like outside of like Christians, like I've heard more of like a like they're kind of like the joke of the ska world kind of a feel. (laughs) Okay, I was wrong. I was super wrong. No, that's okay. It could be a totally. It could just be a different set of people. That's all. (laughs) What I know of Five Iron Frenzy was when Reliant K said had that song uh, about Five Iron Frenzy. That's all I really know about them. (laughs) Pop punk definitely took off a lot harder. Yeah. I, I still like Five Iron. They released a new album um, through uh, Kickstarter uh, recently. That's really oh no, um, it's it's really honest and it's really raw with like uh, 2021 and, and and current events and uh, Black Lives Matter and the pandemic and Trump and just everything. Like, and I I really enjoyed it. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I am yeah. definitely making a note to check that out. That sounds yeah, cool. It'd be worth checking out. I didn't know. I had no clue they jumped back into uh, into music after. Yeah, no, they were gone for a long time. Yeah, a like, long time. yeah. So did you did you ever play music or no, just an enthusiast? Well, uh, I'm an enthusiast. I like to sing, but I'm not like a singer. Um, and I tried to teach myself. I had piano lessons for a while, and I had flute lessons like for a while, and I tried to teach myself the drums and the guitar. Um, but I wasn't ever really serious about any of it. I thought I, I wanted to be, but I wasn't. <laughs> I can relate to that. I, I tried to do drums and I would have at one point said I'm a drummer and, um, I'm glad I didn't say that to too many people because when I started meeting people that actually played, I was like, Oh shit, Uh-oh. that's what it looks <laughs> like to play drum. I'm not good at this. And it did not take me long to just give up on it completely. So <laughs> my, my husband is a drummer. <laughs> Like, okay. and he played and he had, um, a cut was in a couple of different bands in um, in high school, um, in just like local high school bands. Um, yeah. he actually, when we, when we met, he was working on like putting together and like promoting like his own, like two day music festival in our tiny little hometown in the middle of nowhere, like Southern Illinois. And, um, he actually, he did that for two years, like, and had, um, I think he booked, he booked like Hawthorne Heights and I think Ace Troubleshooter too, were two of the bigger, like, uh, That's cool. that he, he had there. Yeah. It was really cool. And I was, I was super impressed. Uh, yeah. yeah That's a lot with, of work to. Yeah. And he's like, he's like 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And he like shows up, like the bands come to like collect their, like they get there and they come to like collect their check and they're like, whoa. You're a little long, young, and it's like totally like Phineas and Ferb. Like, aren't you a little young to be putting on a rock show? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> so, do you remember? Uh, do you remember any of the like specific clothing items that really ruffled feathers at the little church? Oh, yes, yes. I um, well, I had these. I still have these earrings that I love, and they're silver metal zippers. Um, and older people were always thought that I was like communicating that like, I'm not listening to you. Like my ears are closed. Like I'm not. Listening to you. <laughs> wow. They ran into that a lot. <laughs> I wore, I wore a lot of necklaces. I just had like a cascade of necklaces, like chokers, like all the, and then like all the way down, like really long necklaces. I wore a lot. I weighed it one time and I wore like five pounds of jewelry on a daily basis. <laughs> and I had like all the bracelets, like, and all the wristbands and like, and, um, but I had a, a t-shirt that I had actually gotten when I was eight years old at uh, Fort Ticonderoga with my grandma. 
and it's a black t-shirt and it says the black watch on it and it's about like there was a a group of i think it's like like a, a scottish regiment that kind of came in and like i don't remember the whole story but like Anyway, there's like celebrated up there because if it weren't for them, then Fort Ticonderoga would have been lost during some war. I don't know. The White Walkers? I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> that was a, a terrible reference. That was the Game okay, of Thrones okay. reference. <laughs> oh, I have not watched that. Every, Neither yeah, have I. I. I live under a rock and I have not watched Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so like I have this, like it's a black t-shirt and it says like the black watch on it and it's got this dude like in a kilt with a bagpipe on it and i would wear that um and for some reason people always thought it said like the black witch like and people were very like like they thought that i was like people accuse me all the time of being goss and i'm like I don't, I don't know where you learned. <laughs> this word does not mean what you think it means. Like, when you're over and, the age of 50, anything alternative culture is goth, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. And I had, um, I mean, I had uh, stickers from all the local, like, um, like rock, rock and punk rock and like, you know, but they were all like Christian, like, because that's what I was allowed to go to, um, like shows and stuff that, um, that I had been to. And I had like all the band stickers because I couldn't afford anything other than the stickers. And so I had all the stickers safety pinned onto this black hoodie and people didn't like it when I wore that either. Um, so yeah, I had one of one youth minister at a Southern Baptist church that I actually went to for quite a while before we moved to Mississippi. Um, he said, I showed up for, I just showed up like for Sunday school one day. Um, and so it was like eight 30 in the morning and he's got like three other like high schoolers in there. And I just show up and I start asking questions and like having like a real like conversation with him. And he told me a couple months later, he was like, I totally thought that you were going to come in and be like this, like super atheist and that you were going to challenge like all these things. And he was like, and he was like, you were like the poster child for like, don't judge a book by its cover. And I'm like, um, okay, all right. Like, cool. My cover is that extreme, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Also, and he, does that guy write books for, uh, does he do animation for maybe, you know, Josh McDowell books or Dobson no, books? Or... <laughs> no, he doesn't. He, he thought that he had figured out like a hidden meaning between like every piece of my jewelry. Like he's okay. like, like okay. these, like those chains oh, are man. about like the bondage that you're under. And it's like, and this is about, you know, da, 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 da. Yeah. It always goes back to bondage with Christians. It's weird. <laughs> Dude, what we've talked about this before because I went to a little bitty Christian school growing up, you know, and it was all the same kids from my church. And everybody was, by all accounts, a good kid. And But even in that situation where no one is really doing anything wrong, like they come up with things to make a really big deal out of, you know? Yeah. And... uh I, yeah, I that's that's just that environment. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's like somebody gets a new shirt and all of a sudden, like, everyone's concerned about what it means for them and stuff. Yeah, just ridiculous. <laughs> what are you what are you really trying to say? Like, what is your like? And I'm like, if you were really interested in what I had to say, like, it's we like, could have I'm a conversation. 16. I don't really have a lot of deep metaphors going on up here i'm not <laughs> i don't really know what i'm trying to say and at that time i was very i was mostly concerned with like with what i should be saying like i was i i very much wanted to be 
the good girl and I wanted to do the right things and I wanted to make everybody happy and I wanted everybody to be proud of me like and but then like at the same time I had this like and deep hurt and questions that like nobody would address like or seemed to be able to address like in um so yeah but yeah I was very concerned with like with what I should be saying as opposed to like uh what anything that I actually had to say yeah I that that sentiment resonates with me a lot I was I self I I self-identify as a goody two-shoes at that point in my life and (laughs) um what about so when you're I, did you feel like you started having some of the like bigger questions that you didn't think were getting answered when you were in high school or did those questions set in uh, over time as you, I think, I think it was younger. I think it was junior high. Oh, yeah. In, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, I think I'm trying to remember where I was the first time I asked somebody like, where did we get the Bible? Like, what like there's all these different books by all these different authors and it's like bible trivia right you got to know there's like 88 books and 66 you know in the like new testament and the old testament and the authors and the wisdom literature and the you know prophets and the you know all this right like yeah but like where did all this <laughs> come from like and how do we like how like like we're supposed to believe it's accurate how did it stay accurate for so long right and i'm like so like what what is this and i've heard that the Catholics have other books, like they have more books, like we don't have like these books, like so why, like what's the difference? What qualifies a book to be in the Bible? Is it ever possible that there could, we could find another book someday that would, you know, like join the Bible, you know, like, and like I mostly got like either very like disgusted, frustrating, like you can't question the Bible. Like, I like, that's doubt and doubt is evil and like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I wasn't even at that point. I, these were just curiosity. Like, I wasn't even like, I wasn't even questioning like the validity of scripture at all at this point. Um, like, they were just questions. And then like some other, cause I, I asked it to multiple different people and some people were like, like, you just like, I mean, they would just go off on tangents about how like the Bible is real and you believe everything in the Bible. And then I'm like, that's not what I asked. Like, I, I asked where, where did it come from? And then some people that would be like, it's just one of the mysteries of God. Like, uh, it, but like, I mean, like, there are real answers. For yeah, that. there like, is. There it didn't just answers. show up. So <laughs> yeah, there are real answers for this information. And I just wanted like, I just wanted real answers and felt like I either got in trouble or ignored, like for all of these questions. Like, it's almost treated like a liability, like when you start asking things like that, even if you just gen- like you, you just genuinely want to know like where this stuff came from. And yeah. it's weird how much emphasis is placed on like certain things in that community, like for for my church. And I, I would I would almost bet for sure that it was your church, too. You know, the King James Version was the version. Oh, and yeah. that was the only one you were supposed yeah. to read no no one in my like growing up and stuff i don't think anyone in my church or school could have told you anything about king who king james was and why that translation is important it was just like it was revered and no one really had a good answer as to why yeah i remember when the message came out oh there was so much fit throwing like everybody was panicking (laughs) panicking about the message version of the bible and i'm like so why is tell me why this is a big deal? They're like because it's it's not really the Bible. It's not the right words. And I'm like, but 
I mean, the right words, aren't they in another language entirely? Like, like, and I was, I was trying to work out like, what about like the original languages and stuff? Right. Like, and so like, like, but, but the King James isn't the right words either. Like, so what, what do we do with that? Like, and why all this anger and violence, like towards somebody who is like, like my understanding was that like, they're trying to, make the bible accessible to people because like the like the king james version is not understandable like anymore like and so like why all this violence against somebody who's trying to make the bible accessible like isn't that shouldn't that be in line with the communicated mission here like yeah i think the crowning moment of that stuff for me was like after I went to college, I came back to visit my little church at some point. And no, I've told this story on here before, but I remember like in a Sunday school class, multiple times this old guy like going off on a tangent that was not related to what we were talking about at all, but about how like people were using the wrong translations of the Bible and stuff. And uh, at one point he said, King James Version is good enough for the Apostle Paul. It's good enough for me. Just like... Oh. I'm sorry, I just snorted into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, and man. Then that's when you're like, oh, this guy gets to just teach people stuff. And no one's no one has a problem with that. Like, he does Sunday <laughs> yeah. school. He's been doing it for years, saying wrong things for probably 10 years. And everyone's like... I mean, it's fine. It's not like it's harmless, right? <laughs> harmless. I'm sure it's probably fine. <laughs> so, was, was uh, did that play into some of the like eyebrow raising and stuff that you got in high school? Is the fact that you asked questions and wanted to know a little more about some of yeah. the stuff that they were talking about? Yeah, and I, um, yeah, that definitely played into it. Because, I mean, like, here I am, like, this teenager, like, dressed in mostly black and wearing too much jewelry, like, asking these, like, difficult theological questions that, like, everybody's uncomfortable with. And it was very much, like, everybody was, everybody was on guard. Like, like, they, like, like, I was somehow attacking them, like, with these questions and with trying to wrestle out, like, some of these things. And I was like, I, you know, like I was, I was never trying to be rude. I was never trying to like attack anybody. Um, I was just, I was really trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with this? Like, like we talk about like prayer, like, like I, like I have, you know, like I have prayed prayers and I've prayed prayers consistently and they have like not been answered. The exact opposite has happened. And what am I supposed to do with that? You know, like I'm just, I'm looking for it. Like, how am I supposed to really live this out you know and and to like pastors and youth ministers it's like you keep telling me to give it to jesus and leave it at the altar and you know like all these things right and like how how do i do that like somebody please tell me how i'm supposed to leave my shame like this theoretical concept on these dirty carpeted stairs like at the front of the church like what does that mean how is that going to help me i'm missing something here like there are, there are steps missing like and um yeah and so there's there's a lot of that that I've like carried into um into even like go uh, eventually like I I did go to a, a a Christian university 
um, and and got a lot more answers and found a lot more acceptance for like questions and and and, and deep questioning there, but even not quite to the extent that I really needed um, to deal with some of my own trauma, like um, to deal with sexual abuse and the resulting um, eating disorders and, and self-harm and, you know, all that stuff that I was, and, and trying to figure out what is that? Like, how do I, how do I integrate my life experiences with what I've been told is true about the Bible and about God and about myself and about other people? Like, what am I supposed to do with all of this? And then all of that eventually like came to a head after um, I had a miscarriage and resulted in writing my book. It is why like it's called um, Tasting Dirt when you're disappointed with God, which is that like like that kind of felt like the ultimate like you're not allowed to express this like disappointment with God like and like for, you know, like my whole growing up, like there was this like. No matter like what have blame anybody else blame yourself like if you want like you know like beat yourself up right but like but don't you know like like don't touch the like all-powerful creator of the universe who's supposed to be in control of everything like <laughs> with all of these hard things and so that's kind of how what that grew into eventually wow yeah i mean i first of all that's a, a lot uh i imagine that that it's what actually I'll just phrase this as a question when, so you went to Christian college and then, so I just want to, I'm trying, I guess I'm trying to build a timeline into all of this. Cause you, you, you put a lot out there. Um, and, and it doesn't sound like all these things were like, a, like hit you all at once or were consistent. Like they're just, so I, I guess trying to piece together the timeline there of like from high school to college to to your to your miscarriage to writing your book um how many like and then how you were processing faith through that so did it because you said it did come to a head so does that does that mean for you you were you there was maybe some repression of the questions and just kind of trying to to toe the line of christianity and this quote-unquote trusting god and then it just hit you like a ton of bricks or is it a slow it sound, it's sounding like it wasn't slow into that, but can you kind of break that down for us a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And thank you for uh, uh, doing some clarification after I just kind of like dumped a, a like 14 years worth of information. Um, yeah. So um, I think it came kind of in fits and spurts where I would like, there would be some kind of catalyst and I would have these questions and I would have like these like challenging, all these intense emotions and, and all of this like curiosity, right? And all of, and, and really like just somewhat disturbance. Um, and I would kind of, I would try to reach out and ask some of these questions and get met with either like the anger and the defensiveness, like, and essentially being in trouble or just get blatantly ignored. And then I would kind of like slide back into, okay, well, this is what I've always been taught, right? Like until the next, you know, like bump in the road, essentially. Um, and over time, I did get some more answers, like in uh, like Bible college, like I, I did get the answer, you know, like where do we have, where did the Bible come from? Why do we have the books that we do, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, you know, like, so there was some like information, um, but really, and there were more like, uh, like I had a severe postpartum depression after my oldest son was born. 
Um, okay. And so like that was another another time, um, you know, like of questioning and and um, and struggle. Um, was that something after- you felt like you could or couldn't talk about? Um, and did like in church and faith, like was that something? What was that? I felt what? like I. I felt like I could not talk about it with the exception of with a very like one or two people um, that um, that I knew like inside the church Um, and my husband who's always been like 100 percent like supportive and caring like and loving like I could talk with him. But I also carried so much of my own internal shame and this belief that I could not bother other people. Like, and, and being a, a, I couldn't burden other people like that it would be selfish and unchristlike of me, like to burden other people with my over-exaggerated feelings, like, or the, the lies like that I was believing. Um, and so, yeah, I did not like, I, I kind of halfway reached out a little bit, like, but mostly was kind of like, oh, I've got to like, I've, I've got to fix this myself. Um, yeah, and which is mm. not that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, yeah, I, it doesn't I, work that way. Feel like there's a fear, and whether it's right, like just depression, postpartum. Like I feel like there's. A, I mean, obviously we we're all aware that you know churches aren't the safest space for talking about. Der- well, a lot of churches, maybe the types that we're experience that we've experienced aren't the safest place for talking about depression. But there's like this. I feel like there's this, especially within church. Christianity and the emphasis they place on like family units and the the joy of children, especially yeah. as a woman, like this is supposed yeah. to be, this is all what you're this. built for. Like, like yeah. to, to say yeah. that you're depressed is like, I, that, that, oh, you're not experiencing the joy that you should be. There's probably, they're not going to always view it clinically. Uh, they'll be like, it's a sin issue. Or if, if yeah. you're not able to enjoy this, um, then it might be a faith issue because this is exactly what you were made for. So right, right. I, I, I feel like there's so many other levels going on there, especially when you're dealing with postpartum depression. And, and oh yeah, the there's church. the physical and emotional as well as like spiritual. Like you know, like I mean, like we want to separate out things and pretend like there's not always all three going on, but there is always all three going on. Like regardless of what the situation is. But yeah, that was very. I went to like a mom's group um really early on in the church that we were at at this time in florida well, um, my husband and i um, was huge and um was my first experience with like a mega church and so there are like a hundred or more like moms you know like in this like fellowship hall like um at this group and um i see like moms like with their like babies and like their newborns and they're like laughing and talking and their hair is done and they've got makeup on and they do not look like they have slept less than two hours every night and that they're like totally hallucinating and like you know like they look like they're doing fine like and I'm like what is wrong with me like what is wrong with me and then kind of like and what I was like what I I read I was trying to read you know like books you know Christian books you know about moms and motherhood and stuff like that and it's like talking about like you know submitting yourself to the like the mission of motherhood right and it's like I needed to change something in me in order to accept like like how i was feeling about my and then i would feel relief from the postpartum depression but that is not like that's not what postpartum depression is like at all no it's almost (laughs) like treated like and i don't know if it's a church thing so much as just a generational thing to some extent but 
I feel like depression in general is almost just treated like a bad attitude. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah. You, you know, you need to change your thinking. You got yeah. stinking thinking <laughs> and you need to lean on the Lord and you'll feel relief from this thing. And like, there wasn't really ever much credence given to the fact that like, you might have like a hormonal imbalance right now. Yeah, you know, there yeah. may be a, a, a chemical root to this problem that, you know, you need actual medical yeah. intervention on. Yeah. The irony yeah. too, of like, now, you just I need to have... lean on the Lord is like, it, Right. It's like, okay, I understand that. So, but what does that look like? What does that mean? And yeah, how does again, it work how when I'm doing do it? I do that? How do I do that when it's two yeah. o'clock in the morning and I'm hallucinating because I'm so sleep deprived and I cannot, you know, like, and the baby won't quit crying and I won't quit crying. And, you know, like, how do I do that in that moment? Like, what does that look like? Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm going to write you a quick prescription for prayer and Bible study. And you're like, okay, this is yes, not helping. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I had a great, um, I had a great midwife um, and she uh, ordered uh, various some sort of tests and tested like my cortisol levels and my progesterone levels and stuff like that. And then um, discovered that I was severely deficient in progesterone. Um, and so like that was really the um, uh, treatment that made the biggest difference the first time um, for my postpartum depression uh, was that like my, uh, progesterone like replacement essentially. Yeah, so there was totally a physical thing going on there, like a very like a measurable, testable, like treatable physical thing. Like, yeah. Right, yeah. So, I, I guess um I guess we'll just kind of extend your journey and try to piece it together cuz now I mean, you are you are a pastoral counselor. That's that's yes. right. Okay, yep. so and how long have you been, how long have you been doing that? I'm kind of, I want to bridge the gap between your experiences and getting into that field is what I'm, I want to do. Okay. Yes. So, um, I went to Bible college, um, and I actually got a degree in, uh, so I have a bachelor's in, in biblical studies and a bachelor's in Christian counseling. Um, and I thought that from that eventually, um, that I would get like my master's and my state licensure, you know, and everything like that. Um, but that is like, that's not, uh, that, that has not happened on the timeline that I originally thought that that would. Right. Like, um, so, um, and I, uh, went to go start my master's program several times. Um, and then really believed that God was telling me like, not right now, like not right now. And I'm like, okay. So eventually I think eventually he'll still bring me back to that. But so with the, really what I wanted to do is I wanted to help people like answer these questions and find a way to do all like to, to, to figure out like, how, how do we do this? Like, how do I let go and let God, how do I forgive people? How do I integrate my emotions into my spiritual life? How do I like may like, how do I separate out this concept of like, like God from like, my pastors and my parents and my, you know, like other adults and abusers and, you know, all like, how do I, like, how do I work this out? Like, I just, I wanted to help people in the way that I had not received help, um, growing up. And so, um, I've been doing that on a volunteer from like a volunteer perspective in the way of like mentoring, um, like teenagers and, um, 
and being part of like the prayer team at the churches that we've been a part of my husband and I like since we've been married um and just make, making myself available uh to people like in that manner I mean really for let's say if I had to put a number to it let's say 10 years um and but then it was just uh last year like um that the church that we're a part of now approached me about ordaining me um as a pastor because I'd been essentially like a lay person in ministry like for years um and they approached me about ordaining me as a pastor but not like to be on staff at that church um and I was talking about it with one of my good friends um who is the director of the Grace River Christian Counseling Center um and she was like in the state of Oklahoma as an ordained pastor like you can practice pastoral counseling and I was like I did not know that and she was like yeah she was like and I'm looking to hire more pastoral counselors uh, at Grace River is that something you'd be interested in so um I have only been like paid for counseling ministry <laughs> for uh like 6 months um okay. so like, sorry, that's a really long answer, like, no, to a very simple question that you no, asked. No, I think it kind of helps, kind of, so, I mean, I, obviously the line of work that you got into has a lot to do with your personal experiences, because what I think is interesting here is, like, you know, a lot of people um, have a series of negative experiences that build upon each other, um, and then it just, eventually something kind of breaks, Um and yeah. you realize that that maybe there isn't a place for you in church or you realize that you don't really have much of a concept of spirituality or belief at that point. And you kind of, I kind of, it, it's almost, sadly, um, it's, a, it's that like final negative experience that gives you the yeah. ability to just say, I can't, I don't have to do this anymore and yeah. I don't want to. So, but that didn't, it didn't go that way for you. So I'm kind of interested as to if you had, I mean, did you have moments where you're like, I, maybe this isn't for me? Or do you just, have yeah. you generally felt like Christianity is something that uh, has worked? And that's, that as a concept, wasn't really something you questioned despite your experiences. Um, what was, what's all that like? Yeah. So, I mean, there are, well, I guess you can count it. There are three times that I was ready to part ways, like with Christianity, with church, like, and like, potentially with God. Um, and the first time was, uh, when I was, I was 13 and I had attempted suicide because of the sexual abuse that I was experiencing. And because of like what I had grown up with and the churches I'd grown up with, like, I believed that I was disgusting to God, like, and my abuser was a woman. And so there was the, um, like the homosexual, like lesbian aspect, like to the relationship. And so there was like so much shame, like so much immense shame. And I believed like, I believe that, that God didn't want to have anything more to do with me. And, um, and I believe that my church, if anybody knew, like nobody would want to have anything to do with me. Like, and so like, I believed that they were all ready to be done with me. Like they just didn't know it yet. And so like, I was ready to be done with that. Like, and I, I didn't see any way out, you know, of the shame and the pain and the hurt and just the, the worthlessness. Um, and, um, but, uh, I did not die, thankfully. Like, <laughs> I'm happy about that now. <laughs> talking to you now. Yes. Happy about that now. No, but I did spend 10 days in an adolescent psych ward and, um, I was on the way home from the psych ward 
actively planning my next suicide attempt because I still wow. had no, nobody knew what was going on. And cause I couldn't talk about it. Cause I was, I was the shame. Like I could not. So like, even after speak. being in the hospital and coming back, like it's no one knew what was going on with no, you. Nobody knew okay. what was going on. And you know, nobody asked. Everybody told me what, what was wrong with me, but nobody asked oh me my. like, what is going on? Why did you try to kill yourself? Like they told me like, this is what's wrong with you. And you're like, this is, you know, like, and we're giving you this medicine and we're doing these things. Like, but like, wow. Nobody asked me. Um, I don't know if I'd been able, I would have been, I don't think I would have been able to answer honestly, even if they had, however, that's not an excuse for not asking. But so I was on the way home actively planning my next suicide attempt. Um, and I like, I essentially threatened God and was like, um, if you have any reason for me to be alive, you'd better give it to me quick because the next time I get the chance, I'm out of here. And it was less than 24 hours later that I, I, I met Stephen, who is now my husband. Um, I did not see that as potentially an answer to my prayer for like three years. Like, um, but so that was the first time that I was willing and ready, like to part ways with God, the, and the church and, you know, all of it. Um, and the second time was, so my, my husband and I were living in Oklahoma. We have, uh, our one son. And because my postpartum depression was so bad, we were like, I was like, I can't have any more kids. I can't do this again. I won't survive this again. Like I like, but, um, and it wasn't for not wanting like more children. It was just like that fear of going back to that place, like, and not being able to survive it. And so we, um, and then our church got more involved with like foster care and uh, caring for ch- children in the foster system um, here in Oklahoma. And so we uh, became foster parents and believed that we were doing what God wanted us to do and that we were being obedient and we were going to stick through it even when it was hard. Like we were never going to give up on these kids. We weren't going to, you know, like be like everybody else. Like even when it got hard, we were going to stick through. Um, and uh, we had, um a very challenging kiddo which i mean like of course these tra- like they've been through hell like there's no you know what i mean like and they don't have the resources to deal with any of the trauma that they've experienced so right no yeah, fault on no. him whatsoever um but i uh ended up like i had another like depressive episode um which felt very similar to the postpartum depression but i hadn't given birth so it wasn't you know the exactly you know it wasn't chemically like the same um but anyway, and I had like, and I was, uh, he was in a, a rage and I was desperately praying to God for help. And I lost my temper on him. And, uh, my husband was out of town for work. And so like, I, I like, I yelled at him and then I immediately felt that like soul crushing shame and like self-hatred again. And was like, I'm just as bad as like his biological parents. Like I'm not any, you know, like I'm a horrible person. And I, um, cause I was failing, I was failing the mission. Like I was failing mm. God, like I was failing everything. And, um, and so like I called our foster care worker and was like, this is what just happened. And I need respite care, like for the weekend until Steven gets home. And then we can talk about like, what's the best way like to move forward. And so she called the child's social worker and the social worker was out sick. And so she called CPS, which is child protective services. And long story short, they opened an investigation on me for child abuse removed my biological son from our home. Oh my God. And eventually ended up substantiating a charge of child abuse against me 
but they didn't inform me of that. So I just got like the CPS worker quit talking to me and quit responding to my calls and my emails as I'm trying to like work my plan and do all the requirements and go to the court mandated counseling and the anger management and do, you know, all the things to get my own son back. Holy shit. Um, I get a letter in the mail after a couple of months of her not talking to me that says like, uh, the charge was substantiated. And since you didn't file an appeal within 30 days, like that's just it. And I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know I could appeal. I didn't know I had 30 days to appeal. I didn't know any of this. Right. Like, I mean, there's so much shame, like attached to that, like a ridiculous amount of shame attached to that. Um, and I was really like, I was so, I was so hurt and I was so frustrated and I was so disappointed, like with God specifically, because I was like, God, like, like I'm trying to like be obedient to you. Right. Like I'm trying to like, you know, live this mission and I'm trying to like do the hard things. And I asked you for help. Like I asked you for help, like two seconds, you know, like, and there was no help. Like I still, you know, like I lost it, you know, like I asked you like, I specifically asked you for patience, like an insight into what this kid needed from me in this moment. Like, and there was like, and I like there was nothing and then everything blew up and everything fell apart. Right. Like, and, but I simultaneously did not want to, I did not want to not take responsibility for my part in that. Like, I didn't want to be like, Oh, it's not my fault. It's God's fault. You know, like that. I, I lost my temper, you know, like, and I, I wanted I was very concerned with making sure that I owned that. And so I think that particularly prevented me from entering completely into that, like, conversation with God about, like, what the hell <laughs> like just happened here? And then... Yeah, it's crazy because at some level, though, it's like losing your temperature, like, uh, temperature, losing your temper and having that turn into a substantiated claim of child abuse is like, name a... When I it's just... It, that, so, like, I, I've... I've had a uh, foster kid before. Like, so I have technically one now, but he's 18. Um, but my wife and I have been doing that on and off for, um, with, yeah, with yeah. the same kid for years. And I'm like, so what we've talked about what you're saying, like we've heard those stories. Like yeah, that is yeah. like, cause nobody's perfect. And like you deal yeah. with some really difficult situations. It's just like, Oh my God. Like, so that was always like that. What you're explaining was one of the biggest fears that we've yeah. ever had is like, is that it'd be like I can't even like just even sitting in the possibility of that fear is gut wrenching. I can't even imagine what it was like for yeah. to experience that. Holy God! It, I'm I'm totally outside of this world, you know. So admittedly, like I don't have a lot of perspective world. on it. Yeah, uh, has the thought ever crossed either of your minds to like pay some local kids to beat up your foster kid? <laughs> no that particular thought did not cross my mind we probably my shouldn't have was, said that on a recording my foster kid was only be two hard to use it <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i keep interrupting you i did have that's okay there was at one point one of the one of the ladies that worked in child care at our church um we had set up in the foyer this essentially what it was like, it looked like a giant cage, but it was where we were putting all the backpacks we were collecting for the backpack drive for like back to school or whatever. And so like, I like walk in one day and I've got like both of my two year olds, like flailing, like uncontrollably from either of my arms. Um, and there's this like essentially like cage set up in the middle of the foyer. And she's like, Oh, you can put your kids in there. (laughs) (laughs) Go to your kennel. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, um, no thanks but no (laughs) but yeah so and then the um the third time that i really came to to questioning was after um wait uh, um before we i 
Okay. Like yeah. We want, I want to conclude this. So you, okay. What, what, what came about from that? Did you just lose your, from your, that? Uh, foster well, kid? they, like, we lost our foster kid when we, we did get our biological son back. He was okay. first re- released, essentially brought back into my husband's custody. And I did not have to stay out of the house, but I was not allowed to be alone with my own son. And how long, um, was, how long did you not have your, your son living with you? Um, it was t- 10 days. Okay. Um, we, so that concluded it, fairly quickly. It, because when- it can, Well, like that portion of it, not having him back concluded, you know, like not having him living with us concluded fairly quickly. Oh, but then um, I was not allowed to like be alone with him, like until I completed, you know, all the requirements that they had given me to complete. And then it was another couple of months before I got that letter in the mail. And then um, we got a lawyer and talked to the lawyer and the lawyer was like, yeah, you could sue the state for the right to appeal and, and they would, you would win that and you could do the appeal, but there's no third party. Like that's just CPS doing the appeal. And it's been my experience that in similar cases, they will remove your, your son from your custody for the duration of the appeal and they can do whatever they want with it for yeah, as long they as they have want with so it. So much unchecked power yeah. on fucking yeah. families over. It's yeah. crazy. So we just decided to let it ride. So yeah, I can't pass a child welfare background check. Like, and that wow. is still something that I battle with shame, like about like, and, yeah, yeah, sure. I imagine yeah. that's hard. You feel like you like, it's like you would constantly, like you would feel like you need to owe, like you don't owe anyone an explanation, but I mean, it's hard to not want to just like yeah. explain that if it comes up and. It, but yeah, it's wow. like, it's because they're always wanting more volunteers at the church nursery or at the school or at, you know, like, and so it's like, I'm like, I just keep, I like, I feel like everybody thinks that I'm like a super uninvolved, like mom that doesn't care about volunteering for things. Like, but I'm like, no, you don't want me to volunteer for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily because I would lose my temper on a child again like that. Uh, but just the, like the ex- trying to explain all of that, you know what I mean? Like, and be like, yeah. yeah. Stop Jeez. sending me these requests to volunteer because I can't pass your background check. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not just something that you really throw out there. I'm, I'm much more open and vulnerable about it now than I used to be. And so I have had some of those conversations. Um, and, uh, it, it's been received relatively well. Um, and, and that's good. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, it's a complicated thing for sure. Wow. So then there was a third time. Yeah. So that third time, then, um, so after, I mean, after that, the foster care situation, I was like, okay, I'll just be doing good to like raise my one son and keep him alive, like, and relatively unscathed, like to adulthood, right? No more kids for me. Um, and then a couple of years later, uh, I thought, uh, I thought I might be pregnant and then I was really disappointed to find out that I wasn't. And my husband had always wanted more children than, than just one, but it being like, he was always like very like understanding, like and gentle and very like, you know, like it's, you know, like it, and held no resentment, like against me whatsoever for not wanting anymore, feeling like being afraid to have anymore or anything like that. And so when I started talking to him about like, I, like, I thought that I might be pregnant and I, I'm not, and I'm really disappointed about that. And I, and I think I'd like to open this conversation about possibly having another baby and what that might look like. And he was like, okay, like, <laughs> and, um, um, 
so we talked about that and I was still, I was on, uh, antidepressants, um, and had been since the, uh, the foster care, uh, everything that happened with DHS. Um, I've been on and off them multiple times, like, uh, throughout my life. Um, and so I was on them. And so we had this whole like plan laid out for me to like slowly back off the antidepressants, you know, and be seeing my counselor regularly. And, you know, like, and then once that was in, and then I would stop taking my birth control, you know, and then we would have, right. Like we would have another baby. Um, and everything was going according to plan, got pregnant, like right away after coming off birth control. And then I started bleeding and we prayed and I, like I, at the, at the time, and I still do like I was leading the prayer team at church. Um, and so, I mean, like, I'm, you know, not just like participating in the prayer team, but like, you know, like in charge of like the prayer team, you know what I mean? Like, and so like, we're, we're praying. And we're believing and we're, you know, like I asked, you know, like the prayer team to pray and they like laid hands on me and anointed me. Right. Like, and we're like, so everything's going to be fine, you know, like, and, um, and the baby's going to be fine. And, but then we were, we were supposed to be leaving the house to take uh, my oldest son to VBS when I felt it happen, like, and, and miscarried the baby. Uh. And I remember, and I talk about this very like in my book like I like this is kind of how I open the book and I, I lay out this you know set up this scene right for this like catalytic moment of disappointment where I'm like essentially and I, and I don't know if this is going to be like too graphic for you know the podcast or edit it however you need to but I'm essentially sitting on the toilet holding this wad of toilet paper bloody toilet paper with my itty bitty like baby like in my hands and just sitting there with this level of disappointment and grief and like I had not yet experienced and just this like what like but I like I prayed and I and I believed you know like I, I did all the things like and it wasn't for a lack of faith like nobody could ever tell me it wasn't for a lack of faith you know like so what what in the world and yeah so we I am like, my husband was on staff, like at the church, um, doing the audio visual lighting stuff, um, at the time. And, um, and, you know, just sitting there and I think it was, there just wasn't, I mean, I could have blamed myself, you know, like I could have found things to blame myself, but inside me, every time I thought like, oh, it's because like, I was, I was still working out, you know, like while I was pregnant, like that's okay, why, yeah, you know, I it was because, you know, like, because like I probably, I didn't have enough like progesterone because I didn't have enough after Dorian was born, you know, and that's why, like every time I tried to blame myself, there was just this anger that rose up in me that was like, no, like, this is not my fault. Like, this isn't like, there's like the, the only person who's culpable for this, <laughs> like is God. And I think that was the time that I was like, I'm either going to like, like, I'm not like, I'm not letting this go. Like, I'm not walking away from this, like, until I either find some way to resolve this disappointment or I leave like the church, like the, like in that moment, there was, there was really only two options. Like, um, and I really wasn't certain that there would be any like resolution. Um, yeah. and so out of that, I just, I started like, um, I, I journaled, I journaled everything, um, and thoughts and, um, 
is what came up like at church. And I really paid attention to any time the word disappointment came up or any time I noticed that I was thinking about disappointment or feeling disappointment, like, and, um, and it was out of like all that journaling that eventually came, uh, came my book. Um, and, uh, I did eventually get like resolution. I did not end up leaving the church, although I'm, I'm much more honest with myself and with others about the things that are not okay about the Christian church and the American Christian church and particularly evangelicalism and Trump worship and all of that stuff. Like much more honest about that because I, I think that part, uh, well, I know that a huge part of that resolution for me was separating out what, who I believed God to be based on what I had been told from who I have experienced God to be in side of my relationship with him and his willingness to allow me to be honest with him about my anger and my disappointment and all of that. Mm. Wow. That is a, yeah, that's a heavy story. And I, you, I'm sure there's a lot um, of added details of all of those experiences in, in your book. I, I, so when you, I, man, I'm trying to even think like, trying to piece like my questions together. I feel like I have a lot, um, but I want to um, kind of keep this on, on the right trajectory here. But so when you, yeah. when you feel, when you start feeling like you're able to let go of the things that you were told that God was like, um, and, and so I'm guess it sounds like a lot of those things that you were told, maybe in the way that God answers prayer or the way that, um, probably a million other things really. That's the only one that came to my mind right away. Um, but what you were told that God was like versus what you now believe God is like, either based on your experience or whatever, like what, what I, I almost want to ask, um, but I don't want to like put too much pressure on you to answer the big question. Uh, but okay. what, what, what is that God like now? So like when you stay in it and you can even operate within an evangelical church, because, you know, it, a lot of people who question what God was like um, or what they were told God was like, who grew up in the evangelical church like we did, um, it, it, when they come up with a new understanding of what God's like or they, that, that shifts, um, for example, even like myself is like... I, it's hard for me to even go into those spaces anymore where that type mm -hmm. of belief proliferates. Yeah. Um, so how, how, like, what is your experience of God and what do you, what, how did it shift? And then how does that, how, how are you comfortable staying in those spaces without feeling too, I mean, ostracized in, in some way too? Yeah. Um, well, I think first, like there are many times where it's uncomfortable, like, to, to stay in the space um, and, to, and to stay with the people. Um, and essentially, like, my husband and I have, have made a choice to, to stay and work, like, for the change that we believe needs to happen, like, from the inside, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and and to, to stay and to to really hold on to the security of the way that God values us and to know that regardless of how anybody else, Christian or not, 
like response to us, to our questions, to our, you know, like to what we, um, to change that we ask for or accountability, you know, like that we, that we hold on to regardless of how they respond. Um, they cannot reduce our value. Like they have no control over, like they have no control over my value. Like, um, and that provides me with a lot of security to be able to, to have those conversations, um, and to stay in those uncomfortable places, um, and remain, um, and remain more at peace. And there is still hurt. Um, but we're never going to be able to avoid hurt in this life. Like outside the church, inside the church, it doesn't matter. Like there's always going to be hurt somewhere. And it's what we, it's how we, what we do with the hurt and how we heal from the hurt and not allowing that to produce or to cause us to harm others. Like, um, I think is more important than avoiding the hurt in the first place. But I think yeah. to back, to back up a little bit, I think the first part of your question was about like my, like my, what is my experience of God and how now and how is that different? Like from the experience that I had, like, or what I had been taught or what I thought I knew like before these experiences. Um, I think uh, what I, I had expectations for God that I did not realize that I had. Um, I expected, I expected him to be angry and critical. I expected him to be ready to drop me at a moment's notice. Like I was one mistake away you know, like one failure away, one, you know, like, and I could say with my mouth that, you know, like that his mercies are new every morning. Right. And his forgiveness, you know, is perfect. And he loves us unconditionally and he has, but that is not what I believed about God because that is not what I experienced from the people who were supposed to represent God to me as I was growing up. And that, then that is not what I had been. That is not what I had been like there were other conflicting things that were told to me. Like, and the, there's, you know, like there's this kind of, um, this is like fear of grace, right? Where there's like, like God forgives everything, you know, like he forgives immediately. Like he's already forgiven everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do. Oh, but don't use that as an excuse, like to go sin. Sure. There was always yeah. that tagged on the end. Like they're afraid of grace. Like, like don't, like don't, you know, like everybody's, you know, just gonna, go out and be like okay like I could do whatever I want you know like and so it was my expectation of God is that he had these expectations for me and that I could that it, I could disappoint him that that I could disgust him that I could essentially that it, that it would be possible for me to drive him away from me right uh, um and and I, I found like that also to to not be true and I think it was in studying, I started looking in the Bible for any stories in the Bible where someone had been disappointed with God, like in the Bible. I was looking for a biblical precedent of someone being disappointed with God and how that was expressed and how that worked out, right? And I'm like, and I found all these things that are like, these are not your like <laughs> precious moments, like Jesus stories, you know, like these are not your Sunday school stories. You know, I found the Psalms of Lament and uh and hezekiah and i found uh or not hezekiah, habakkuk um and um lots of the prophets and then i also i found um i i mean i'm sure 
like if you if you if you grew up Christian, like you're familiar with the story of Lazarus, right? And I I remembered like the story of Lazarus, right, with the flannel graph, right, and uh, the Lazarus all wrapped up like a mummy with his arms like straight out, you know, like coming out of the tomb <laughs> when Jesus called him, right? Like, um, but there's like there's a whole other part to that story that where, so like Mary and Martha, right, the sisters of Lazarus, right, um, like we first meet them. When Jesus is at their house and Mary's sitting at Jesus's feet and Martha is like, tell her to come, you know, get back in her place, you know, and come back to the kitchen with me, you know, like, and Jesus is like, no, she's chosen what can't be taken away from her. And so I saw like in, in Mary, you know, like, I feel like that experience I related with this idea that like, he didn't send her away, you know, and so she was like, she was in love with him, like, and then later on, we see that like Mary and Martha send for Jesus because Lazarus is sick. And Jesus on purpose doesn't come. Like he waits. He waits until he knows that Lazarus is dead. And then he goes back down to Bethany and Martha runs out to him first and has this whole theological conversation, right? Like, and, um, and then Martha goes back to the house. And even though it doesn't say that Jesus said this, Martha tells Mary that the teacher asked for her, like that Jesus asked for her. And so Mary, who did not go out with Martha in the first place, gets up and goes out and she collapses in the road at Jesus's feet and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she like, she accuses Jesus. And so here's this, like Mary, like goes from like sitting at his feet in love with him for the value that he has shown her. She called for him. She believed he would come. Like, and then, like, and he didn't come. He didn't show up. She was disappointed. She was disappointed with him. And then it's one of those, like, it's one of those, like, Bible bowl questions, you know, like, what's the shortest verse on the Bible? Jesus wept, right? Like, that's totally detached from the entirety of the story that, like, Mary collapses on the road, ugly crying, accusing Jesus like disappointed and angry and Jesus doesn't ignore her. He doesn't tell her to get up and wipe her face. He doesn't tell her to go back to her place. He doesn't tell her like she's being impatient. You know, just, just wait, just wait on the Lord. Just wait on me. Like he doesn't say like, you just wait, like what's about to happen is going to make up for everything. You know, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't explain anything. Like he weeps with her like in that moment like he and and i think if i remember correctly from my research like the the word that's used there for him weeping is not like a single you know like movie you know like single perfectly placed tear rolling down his cheek it's actually like the word that's also used for the sound a horse makes when it's blowing out its nose so like that Jesus was like, Jesus was, you know, when you're ugly crying and you like can't breathe and you're like, <laughs> you know, you're like choking on your own like slime. <laughs> like that's like, like that Jesus was really like he wept with her. Like he entered, he allowed her pain to hurt him and entered into that space with her without blaming without shifting blame without making excuses without accusations without you know like without justifications without any of that like he entered into that with her and that was eventually what i landed on 
my experience with him, like, and after, like, like in that moment when I was sitting there holding the, my, my baby, my dead baby in my hands, that he was, that he was weeping with me and silenced were all the voices that I grew up with, all the different youth pastors and the different pastors and the different missionaries and my parents and the deacons and the elders and, the, you know, like silenced were all those voices about like that you, you know, like just pick yourself up and move on and never quit trusting God. And there's always a reason. And God works all things for the good of those and, you know, blah, 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 mm. blah. Like, you know, all those like and the justifications and all of the blaming and all of the all everything. The and there was, yeah, all of that. And there was just that in this moment, like he's fully and completely with me and he's not trying to, he's not trying to squash me and he's not trying to tamp down my emotions and he's not trying to, he's not trying to make me better and he's not uncomfortable and he's not threatened like by my pain or by my anger, like, or by anything like in that moment, he's just, he's like, he's, he's with me. Because that's how, like, when you love someone, when you value them for just, like, the fact, like, they're human, like, they exist, they have intrinsic value, regardless of whatever's different, regardless of what they may be bringing to you in the moment, you know, like, there is no other option except for to, like, to be with them and honor them and their experience and their existence in that way. Like, and so that has been the experience, um, that is so very drastically different from what I grew up with. Wow. So in, well, like in, in all three scenarios, you know, where, um, abuse and, and subsequent suicide attempt and the, uh, the postpartum depression and then, and then your miscarriage would, you know, First off, really sorry that you had to go through all that. I mean, that's nobody deserves that. Um, it was the church itself. Was it a support network for you at all in any of those situations? Because um, I could see being very you know, disenchanted with the bureaucracy and stuff. Yeah. Having been through some of those things and, and really not feeling like the community was there for it. Yeah, definitely with the first one, with the abuse, the church was not supportive, um, at all. Well, I take that back. There was one supportive person in the church that we were currently at. And she was the one who, like, it was our pastor's wife. And she told my parents over and over and over again, because my parents didn't know what to do with this. Like, and they, um, and my mom particularly talked to a lot. She talked to the pastor and she talked to the youth leader and she talked to, you know, like, or like trying to figure out what to do. Um, and, uh, not that that was right, but it was what she did. It was what, what her heart behind. Um, but, um, I think like my youth minister at the time, you know, just told me that I, uh, everybody, everybody sins and you just need to put it behind you and move forward and quit sinning. And everybody else is just kind of this, like, you know, not talking to me, like whispering behind their hands. Like, and now all of a sudden, like, I'm not allowed to like hang out with some of the other, you know, like junior high students that have been my friends at church anymore. And, but my, the pastor's wife 
essentially told my parents over and over again until they talked to a detective like that like this was abuse like this is not okay and you need to talk to the police like um and then when we the detective that we talked to was a total douchebag and made lesbian jokes to my face and uh told me that like my parents were just gonna have to get over it and Jesus like i like Christ. i didn't even get uh, like i'm supposed to tell this random strange man all these details about what has happened to me and i i think i got one sentence out before he started with the lesbian jokes and then i could i didn't say anything else after that like how could i right um but yeah so there was not support from the church in that for sure the with the um the foster situation and losing custody of my child um there there was support uh from some members of the church so the the associate pastor that i directly reported to as leader of the prayer team um he was absolutely fantastic he's now also a pastoral counselor um we're at the same office um and he i mean he told me he was like sarah he was like every parent loses their temper he was like every parent and what you did he asked me like specifically like what happened even in the way that like the cps worker did not ask about you know like what exactly what happened walk me through exactly what happened like and um and he was like yeah he was like you were like he was like, you were like, you're angry. You lost your temper. He was like, that we're, we're parents and we're not perfect and kids are hard. And that's what happens. And like, that was not abuse. Like, and he was very supportive. There was a, um, I was actually able to, um, the, because there's not enough foster homes. I, the CP, yeah. When they were, when the CPS worker told me that they were going to remove Dorian, she asked me if there was anybody like family or anything that we could call. And we don't, we don't have any family living out here. Um, but, uh, so I, I called quite a few people from the church and I was in total panic mode. Right. So I'm like, I'm not, you know, like really thinking super rationally. So I'm like making all these phone calls to people at the church and just kind of like, like ugly crying and blubbering through like, you know, like trying to explain what just happened and why I need like Dorian to, you know, my son to stay with it, you know, and can they do this? And was actually told no by three different people before I finally, like I called a friend and she has, she has four kids and her husband was also on staff at the church and they've got four kids. And at that night she was hosting a whole bunch of other like junior high kids from the youth group for like a youth event or whatever. And she was like, yeah, of course, like, you know, like, and just was immediately like, yes, of course. And so she was super supportive and she was, um, and there was no like, you know, judgment or condemnation or anything, you know, like from her, you know, the whole time, like while, you know, he was there. Um, and stayed with her. And of course, so, I mean, like my son felt like it was, you know, just like a, like a big sleepover, you know, like with his friends, like, um, yeah, yeah, which is, yeah. And I knew where he was and I knew that he was safe and that was a huge, um, that was a huge relief and a huge blessing. And there was another, um, another woman from in the church. She called me because I had of course called my husband and he was out of town. Um, and he was, uh, one of the the guys that he was working with, um, I guess, had called and told his wife what was going on. As she called me and she said, Sarah, she was like, after she was like, do you need somewhere for like, can Doran come stay with us? I was like, no, he's going to stay um, with, you know, I, I just arranged, you know, like for him to stay with um, this family. And she was like, OK, she was like, after you drop him off, like, like we live in like the next neighborhood over and I want you to come and stay with me. 
And I was like, I appreciate that, but no, like, that's okay. And she was like, no, either you're coming to my house or I'm coming to your house. She was like, but you're not going to be alone tonight, which was really, again, God, like, like protecting my life because I had in mind to drop my son off and drive off into the middle of nowhere and disappear. Like for the rest of forever, I was so ashamed, like, and so angry at myself, like, and believed that he would be better off without me, obviously, because the state just took him away from me, you know, like, and so there was support in that. And then after, um, after the miscarriage, um, uh, there was an outpouring of support, um, especially from other women who had also experienced miscarriage. Um, it was kind of like everybody was like coming out of the woodwork, like, and they're like, Oh, I also had a miscarriage. I had four miscarriages. And I'm like, I never knew that. Like, why are we not talking about this? Like, this is it. I can't like, how have you never, like, how has this never come up in the years that we've known each other? Because I feel like this is a huge life altering thing. And you're just nonchalantly like, yeah, I have three miscarriages between Michael and Andrew, you know? And I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> um, wow. and so there, there was an immediate outpouring of support. But then as I began to like, as people were like following up with me and being like, Hey, you know, how's it going? It's been, you know, a month or whatever. How's it going? And I'm like, I'm still really angry and bitter at God. And I think I'm going to write a book about it. And they're like, Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's good to hear that, you know, aside from just observing some of those, those trends within those churches and stuff, you know, I, I imagine that that's a big part of what you're doing as a pastoral counselor yeah. now is trying to, to fill that gap that you found in several different churches, you know, when you were in trouble and, and needed help. And, um, man, Sarah, it's just really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Where, where can yeah. people find out more info about your book and, uh, and you in general? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, have a blog. It's called emotionculture.com. And the, uh, purpose of that is really exploring like what part do our emotional lives play in our spiritual lives? Cause that's something that really gets ignored in the church. It's like, yeah, we're definitely. supposed to ignore our emotional lives, like, and that the spiritual is so much more important than the emotional, but like God himself has emotions. Right. And so like, what are we supposed to do with that? And how do we navigate that? And there's also, um, there, there's links there, uh, to my book as well. It's called tasting dirt when you're disappointed with God. And it's, um, also available on Amazon. Um, and yeah, so that's probably the best way. There's a, um, I welcome people contacting me through there, send me an email, um, and I'm happy to have conversations. Um, and then, um, I mean, some people want to like schedule a session and become a recurring client. Some people just want to have a couple emails or a phone call, like whatever that is, that's fine. I really just want to make myself available to help people, um, to help people work through like the emotional barriers that they have for whatever reason, however they got put up in their lives, but they're like preventing them from connecting with other people and connecting with God in, in the way that they want. And so that's, that's what I do. That's what my life mission is. Yeah, that's awesome. I think what I think is beautiful about it is there's not, it feels like for people who have had a lot of pain and hurt and negative experiences in the church don't know how to find resources yeah. There often isn't a space for them anymore. And for those people who, who maintain that those spiritual sensibilities and, and even like they, to have a resource to have that yeah. available, I think is super important because I just, 
there's not a lot bridging those there's not a lot bridging those gaps it's like they, yeah. there's a lot to help you out there's a lot that you just have to ignore and toe the line on if you want to stay in and i think what what you're trying to do is is necessary for a lot of people um so i it's been super awesome talking to you i, I mean i really appreciate you sharing so much of your story did not expect it I, this is something a reoccurring thing is finding out that there's so much more going on with people that we're talked to than we expected going into the conversation yeah. so i appreciate your your just candid uh, candidness and your openness about your story yeah thank you for making space for me to share and being willing to hear all of it and being so honoring like to uh to me in this space yeah absolutely well thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next time thanks.